Before we get started, a quick disclosure. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Nothing you hear is an offer or solicitation to buy or sell any investment. And with that, hello and welcome to the Rangeley Capital Podcast. This is a weekly 15-minute long podcast, and the clock starts now. Uh, I'm Andrew Walker, a portfolio manager here at Rangeley Capital, and with me, as always, is my co-host and the founder of Rangeley Capital, Chris Demuth. It is Tuesday, December 15th, and today we're going to be talking about the Federal Reserve and interest rates. And Chris, before we get started, uh, maybe I'll set the stage a bit. Uh, the Federal Reserve is meeting today and tomorrow, and at this meeting, they will decide the Fed funds rate. Uh, to simplify, they are effectively setting the interest rate for the U.S. economy. Now, traditionally, the Fed will raise rates when uh, the economy is strong, and that's to fight the inflation and try to keep the economy kind of on an even level. And then they'll lower interest rates when the economy is weakening in order to boost the economy through increased demand for lending and borrowing. Uh, the Fed funds rate is currently at 0.25%, which is kind of where it's been since the financial crisis. And at this week's meeting, it is widely expected that the Fed will raise interest rates for the first time since June 2006. Uh, Fed Reserve meetings have grown more and more anticipated over the past decade. If you watch CNBC, their coverage kind of reminds me of how the Super Bowl is covered. They have countdown clocks to when the Fed meeting uh, starts. They'll have countdown clocks to when the Fed meeting, the results are announced. They'll have round-the-clock coverage of the Fed meetings, and they'll even have analysis of how each individual member of the Fed is likely to vote and what that's likely to mean. There's a lot of tea leaf reading into the announcement. So with all of that covered, why does the Fed, why does the Fed meeting matter? Well, uh, it's quite likely that they're going to raise. Uh, it's quite likely that they're going to raise by a quarter and that they're going to keep raising for a very long term. I think there's a there's a proximate and then there's an underlying significance. Uh, the, the, the proximate significance uh, really is that uh, one is an investor is going to have to get their house in order in terms of how the change in yield affects everything. Affects yep. your bond exposure, affects your equity. Uh, but, uh, but there's a bigger issue too, which is that we are kind of at the end of a cycle that has lasted really since the 1980s. So everything people know about the modern era of investing is uh, kind of at the end and we're starting a new era. And uh, so in a sense, everything you know is a sample size of one. Exactly. So at the kind of beginning of the 1980s, interest rates, I believe they peaked around 18%. Mm -hmm. And since then, interest rates have come down from 18% to, we can effectively call it zero. zero so what you're saying is because interest rates determine everything, right? The interest rates will determine the value of an equity because the value of an equity is the discounted net present value of its cash flows. Because everything over the past 30 years has been in a period of declining interest rates, we have had a period of rising equity prices. And this should signal the start of a period of rising interest rates, which could be the first long-term headwind for equity prices we've seen in, in 30 years. It's going to be the beginning of something different. <laughs> the beginning of something different. Okay, so we talked about how CNBC has this Super Bowl-like coverage of interest rates. Do you think investors should actually be paying this much attention to whether you know the Fed raises at this at this meeting versus the January meeting, or you know, if the raise is 25 basis points versus 50 basis points. Investors should think about things that are both important mm -hmm. and knowable or analyzable. Uh, and I think that begins and ends with analyzing firms and looking at bottom-up work on individual investments. Yeah. I would give the Fed uh, high marks for its importance, but low marks for 
knowable and analyzable, even at a meeting where they're almost certainly going to do something. Yeah. Uh, and, and part of it is just the problem with a paramutual system. We're looking at investments and things that affect investments, uh, but everybody else gets to look too. Exactly. So, I mean, if you were an interest rate trader, like you should be paying attention to all of this Fed meetings. And, you know, if they move today versus next week, that makes a huge difference. But as an individual investor who we're assuming is mainly focused on stocks, you would generally be focused, your time would generally be better spent actually analyzing stocks and trying to find good undervalued companies who, it doesn't matter if the interest rate is you know 1% or 1.5%, they're undervalued no matter what. Uh, your time would be better spent doing a host of things, including <laughs> that. Uh, I, I think that uh, another problem as an investor is that if uh, you have an idea yeah. and you want to put a significant amount of your capital at work investing in something that uh, works uh, at a cost of capital at 25 bips and fails catastrophically at 50 bips, uh, you should re-examine your premises. Uh, and that if you are doing something, on the other hand, that is putting capital to work in an idea that is massively mispriced by yep. 30%, uh, then you can afford uh, bips here or there on whatever Jamie Yellen does. That's a, it's a great point. Uh, so let's go on. The reason you raise interest rates is generally because uh, inflation is a concern. You raise interest rates preemptively to fight off inflation, fears of inflation. There are some others, but that's the basics. Is inflation a huge concern today? And I guess another question would be, if inflation is a huge concern, why didn't they raise interest rates you know, 30 days ago, two months ago? Why is t today the day to raise inflation rates? Data on current inflation is pretty benign. Yeah. Uh, let me say that how it's reported uh, is pretty benign. Uh, it is even benign on how inflation really is. Uh, yeah. And I, I would suggest to listeners and to you uh, to look at data based on original methodologies for calculating mm -hmm. inflation because it looks increasingly benign every time they change the methodologies, which makes me suspicious of how it's counted. Yep. Uh, but how it's counted, it's extremely low. How it actually is, is pretty low anyway. Yes. So I, I think the methodology, for those who don't know, in the early, call it 80s, when they first mm -hmm. really started keeping track of this, you know, the methodology would be, oh, you go to the store and you buy a pound of beef and a pound of chicken. And one of the changes they have made over time is they said, all right, well, if beef rises in prices by 5%, you're going to buy half a pound of beef and a pound and a half of chicken instead. And that lowers the rate. But mm -hmm. even though prices have actually gone up, it shows a lower inflation rate because you've kind of switched your basket, as they say. Green. Okay. Uh, but what, what other things are showing you that inflation is benign right now? Overall price levels um, have uh, come down from the few problematic areas yep. of not between the financial crisis and now, but if you just look at the last couple of years, primarily energy and food. Exactly. Uh, energy inflation has gone away completely and then even some more. Uh, food inflation has gone away completely and then even more. Uh, and food inflation, I have to say, uh, my populist impulses come out, is incredibly important for yep. average people. Uh, 
uh, it also is important for social comity. The, the statistic that most correlates with revolution and bloodshed <laughs> is food price inflation. Yep. You can almost just turn on CNN and see a revolution. These always have high-minded principles, but they always come at a statistically predictable point in high food price inflation. So I, I think you're basically saying let them eat cake is mm-hmm. uh, kind of the core to revolution. And what about in the tech industry? I think you see a lot of dis- disinflation right now, deinflation. Yep. Just because, you know, you think just an iPhone is one example. It was $600 five years ago. It's still $600 today. And you buy a materially better iPhone. But it's even in things like an Uber, you know, the end game for Uber, it used to be everyone owns a car and you use a car, you know, maybe 15, 30 minutes a day. I think the end game for Uber is one car can service five or 10 people and it's constantly in service. So people need to spend less money on cars. Exactly. Back to the iPhone example, the current Walmart phone that is a bit essentially free. Yeah, you know, I think that they think that there's some kind of nine dollar fee, so you don't use it as a doorstop. But it <laughs> has all of the features that the original iPhone had when yeah. it came out. So uh, the technology is really expanding. Uh, but uh, but still, I, I have to uh, say that. Your examples are a little elitist. Uh, uh, <laughs> that all of these things where you have a kind of high tech uh, 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 tools that are massively expanding their capabilities are useful to the elite, less so for people who rely on uh, discretionary income uh, that is uh, hugely weighted towards food towards gasoline towards mm-hmm. certain essentials that uh that uh, gets really cut into uh, when basics uh have prices rise it, i'm speaking of elitist i mean it's interesting the only place i really see consistent inflation over the past year is asset price levels so yeah. stocks have been a little rocky but in general over the past five years they've been on a huge run and then i think you know upper end homes mm-hmm. and kind of Wealthy, we'll call it, sports teams have seen huge inflation over mm-hmm. the past couple of years. So it's interesting that the only place that there has been inflation are really the upper end, upper end kind of unique things. Bobbles for billionaires have just been exploding in price. <laughs> if you, if we had known this ten years ago, we wouldn't need to do this whole investing business because that's been the bobbles for billionaires has been the best investment. Okay, so Chris. We've talked about the Fed, the Fed, what they're doing, inflation, everything. And I think that's actually the less interesting piece to us than how can investors take advantage of all of this focus on the Fed and fear over the Fed raising rates? Well, I have two answers, uh, and both of which are things that we've been thinking about a lot mm-hmm. today. Uh, one is over the very short term, uh, if you asked yourself, what happens when the Fed starts to raise that I would do if other people weren't asking the same question and these things weren't otherwise getting priced in. Uh, If you look over the past year, some yield codes and some very uh, kind of income-oriented investments started off at prices to me that seemed price insensitively high and have now shot right through their value on the way down and are now super cheap. Yep. So I think we've we've talked about this a little bit over the past week with people might remember the Kinder Morgan podcast, but basically – 
Yield codes is a term for a an, an investment that was designed specifically to appeal to dividend investors, people who wanted a stable and rising dividend. And what happened is, you know, a year ago, you had to pay through the nose. If you looked at mm-hmm. what you would pay for these assets, if they didn't have a dividend, it was much less than what they were priced at. But because dividend-focused investors have sold off in anticipation of the rising mm-hmm. rates, you can almost go a level deeper and say, these things are getting sold off because people are worried about interest rates. I will buy because I can buy them cheaper than I'd be able to do if they didn't have a dividend or have these forced sellers. The prices have become very low. Yes. Their volatility has become extraordinarily high. So if you look at uh, the question of what would be the most awful thing to do in a rising rate environment if nobody else noticed that the Fed was meeting this week? A lot of those things are cheap. And writing puts in them is extremely attractive, specifically for December. Yep. So you you kind of beat me to my next point, which isn't surprising because we talk all the time. But if you look at this is a little more advanced than we normally talk about on the podcast. But volatility is uh, it's generally considered a measure of investors' fear, and people are so scared over what the Fed will do this week mm-hmm. that volatility is extremely elevated this week compared to where both where it normally is. And if you look to like the volatility for January or February or even further out. So you can take investors can take advantage of that by selling volatility, selling protection. And the the way for investors to do that on our side has been if you sell a put, which is protecting people from asset prices falling further, you get paid much more than normal. Is that about how you would think about it? Exactly. Yeah. So I think those are really the areas. Uh, the only other place I would mention, and we've mentioned this in the past couple of weeks as, as well, uh, preferred equities and high-yield bonds, I think, have been really sold off because of fears. Interest rates rise means preferred equities and high-yield bonds experience a lot of the same rate-based sell-offs. And they've also sold off in the wake of the Third Avenue Fund we mm-hmm. talked about last week. I think uh, it's an interesting place if you're selectively picking assets. If you want to find price-insensitive kind of retail mass market investors, the discounts and closed-end funds is an interesting place just to see how they would enunciate their fear. Yep. Those discounts have exploded both in prefs and in high yield. I think they're approaching kind of high teens, high 20%. Teens. Yep. So let's just explain a closed-end fund for people who don't know. A general mutual fund is open-end. You can get daily liquidity. And that's actually, as we talked about with the Third Avenue fund that shut, the focus credit fund that shut down, that can be terrible if you invest in e-liquid securities. Daily daily liquidity for investors, e-liquid securities that you're investing in, poor mismatch when investors demand their money, it results in a big sell-off. Close-end funds are publicly traded funds where investors cannot demand their capital back. Mm-hmm. Instead, they can only sell their shares. And generally, these will trade at a small discount. So if that if the share if the fund is worth ten dollars, they'll generally trade for nine or nine fifty. But recently they've been trading for eight because people just don't want to be involved with them and they're selling indiscriminately. Exactly. And their IPO process is a a procedure in which money is transferred from gullible people to dishonest people. And uh, when that happens, you are left with securities in the hands that tend to be the weakest yep. and most price insensitive. So we'll probably have to talk about this another time, but their IPO process is generally someone goes and says, hey, 
do you want to invest in this thing that is the structural equivalent of a mutual fund, except we're going to charge a fee on it forever. The fee is generally higher than a mutual fund would charge. We'll also charge a sales commission, and you can never demand your money back if the manager performs poorly. Is they, that about how you think about it? They don't say any of those things, but all of those things are true. Yeah, it, it's it's in the uh, the subtext if you listen to it. Okay, so I think that's all the time we have today. Chris and I will be back with another podcast this week and probably one or two more next week. Uh, thanks, thanks for taking the time to listen to us. If you don't already follow us, please subscribe on iTunes or SoundCloud. Uh, if you already subscribe, please recommend it to a friend. Uh, and uh, thanks again.